So glad you chose to be with us today. We are really, really grateful to see you. Good morning. We are on part three of Love Like Jesus. We started with maybe one of the hardest of the three messages, forgive sinners. Then we went to another message that's also very hard to live out, and that is to serve by washing feet, doing that hard, hard thing. Today we're talking about break bread, and this is perhaps the easiest of the three, and yet the most surprising of the three, as we focus on, if you want to live like Jesus, you want to love like Jesus. That's our focus for the whole series. If you'll move that focus screen for me, that'd be helpful. Thank you. And I want to just highlight maybe some surprise. We usually focus on what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. He gave his life as a ransom. He went after us. He came to us. He served us. He served us to the point of death. We've talked about that often, which is the central truth. But what we don't talk about often is his strategy day in and day out. What did he do day in and day out? Because if we just talk about serving to the point of death, that happened in just that one Passion Week, which of course we'll be celebrating in a special way as we get there um, in the next couple of weeks. But day in and day out, for three and a half years of his ministry, what what was his strategy? What was it that he did? How did he promote his cause? And that is a little surprising, and so we're calling this Break Bread. And we'll find it's uh, not as hard as we think in some ways. Uh, But I want us to just consider these questions, and I'll put them on the screen. What are your social patterns? What were the social patterns of Jesus? Should I consider changing some of my social patterns to look more like Jesus' regular social patterns? Now, that last question, you know, the Sunday school answer is yes, right? We know that's where we're going, but what are the social patterns of our lives that we need to investigate to see if they align with Jesus' social patterns, and why are these social patterns important? And that's where the surprise is, and it's maybe not as hard as we think, and yet it's often an ignored part of our lives, these social patterns. Now, Jesus had some social patterns that were actually criticized by the religious elite of his day. And the religious elite of his day criticized not just Jesus' social patterns, but John's social patterns. When I say John, I'm talking about John the Baptist, who was a prophet that spoke the words of God after 400 years of silence because the nation had kind of abandoned God, then come back to God, and there was just a long period of silence before the coming of the Messiah. So when John arrived, his social patterns were one way, and Jesus' social patterns were another way, and they're very different in patterns, and yet both were criticized by the religious people of Jesus' day. And so we're going to take a look at that and find some surprising things in it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 33, for John the Baptist, that's what he was called, because he came and challenged his nation to be baptized as a Gentile convert to Judaism might be baptized. He's now calling the Jews to be baptized. We just saw baptism here. And the Jews were saying, why should we act like Gentiles? We have already been chosen. We're already in covenant. And John challenged them. Now, here's John's 
social patterns that Jesus comments on because they're being criticized by the Pharisees. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. And that's what the Pharisees were accusing John the Baptist. Now, if we were to put it in modern-day vernacular, it might be something like, uh, you gluten-free teetotaler, right? I mean, now, if you've never heard of the phrase teetotaler, teetotaler came out of the temperance movement some years back in our nation, and teetotaler meant it wasn't just guarding your alcoholic intake and keeping it in moderation. Teetotaler said, you know what? We need to go further than that. We need to have total abstinence of alcoholic beverage, and... This was John the Baptist's approach. He was, took on a Nazarite vow. He completely eliminated all fermented drinks from his social practice, from his daily lifestyle practice. And he didn't eat bread either. I'll leave it up to you to read the Gospels to see what he ate. I don't think you'll choose that diet. <clears throat> but not only did they say, you gluten-free teetotaler, they accuse him of this huge negativity and it gives them a cause to be off the hook and not have to listen to them. You have a demon. And so they demonize John over the fact that he doesn't eat bread and doesn't drink wine. Now watch what they do next in verse 34. And this is still Jesus commenting on their criticism. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I underlined eating and drinking because it was Jesus' social practice to eat with and drink with socially people who the Pharisees would have considered outcast, undesirables, and you dare not compromise by association with them. And they didn't just say, you're compromising there. They threw the accusation at him that he's a glutton and a drunkard. And so we arrive at two social practices that are mutually opposite in their practice of what they do, and Jesus is highlighting how the Pharisees are wrong in both cases, okay? Now, before you get all excited and you think, oh yeah, so we need to be like Jesus and arrange our social practices to be like Jesus. Okay, hey, hey, party hardy, let's drink wine and be with all of the partiers because that's what Jesus did. So let's slow this down a little bit. <laughs> um, when the Pharisees said you glutton and drunkard, they were completely wrong in that accusation. Jesus never sinned. Gluttony is a sin. Being drunk is a sin. It's a sin according to God's teaching in the Old Covenant. It's a sin according to God's teaching in the New Covenant. In fact, the people that taught it in the New Covenant were the disciples themselves who spent three and a half years with Jesus day in and day out. And here's the amazing thing. Their teaching is very clear from Peter and from John. And they're very, very clear that after living with Jesus every day, Jesus never sinned in any of the areas of his practice. So he never sinned in getting out of moderation in food. Uh, I fall far short there. It's like our culture celebrates gluttony. It really does. And Jesus never went there. And Jesus never got drunk. And yet he was able to be moderate in his wine drinking socially. 
Now, before you get too excited there too, just know this, the wine in Jesus' day was way less potent than any wine of our day today. Now, you could get drunk on it if you really drank excessively, and Jesus never did that. So, when I say we're going to learn from Jesus' social patterns, before I go into Jesus' social patterns, we need to get into this, well, they attacked two separate social patterns, and Jesus' view of John's pattern was that John is correct, and Jesus' view of his pattern is that he was correct, and so he summarizes with this next verse, verse 35, and he says this, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. And we go, huh? It's like wisdom is proved right by all her children. What's he talking about? He's saying John was proving the wisdom right as if wisdom was his parent, and he's proving the, his wisdom to choose not to drink at all in teetotal, total abstinence his whole life was right for John. Now, so if Jesus, it was right for him to drink wine in moderation in his social setting, and it was right for John to not drink any wine ever, how could they both be right? And the way Jesus looks at it is, it's not, in this case, the what, it's the why. And that's so different for our thinking. We just want to give it a list of do's and don'ts, and it's just the what's. We have to look at the why's. The why's of John was, he was confronting a compromised nation, He was a prophet of God who didn't want to compromise his own ability to hear from God. He was doing everything possible to cut himself off from compromising social influences so that he could hear from God because nobody had really heard in a prophetic kind of way for 400 years. And he was being led by God into the wilderness to do self-discipline, self-training, self-directed openness to God fully so he could hear and bring God's message. Jesus had a different why. It wasn't confrontation of a compromised people who claimed to be believers, which was John's calling. Jesus came to reach to the furthest, farthest away from God people to let God's love come before them in flesh to feel the love of God through the love of Jesus Socially, as if somebody came to you and says, I like you, I really do, and God does too. This was Jesus' message, and that was the why behind how he interacted without any sin in social settings to bring the love of God to people. Now, I'm not Jesus. And I have some things in my own life, and for reasons of my own, as it relates to wine drinking, I'm more like John. And as it relates to breaking bread with sinners, I'm more like Jesus. And I want to express to you, let's break bread. The issue of wine, I'm not even going there any further than this, except to address the why And to say, are you able to live like Jesus? Do you ever drink to excess? Drunkenness is a sin. Addiction is a sin because it takes you away from God as your master and you're being mastered by something else. 
So what are your social practices and what are you going to do to be in more alignment with the life and practice of Jesus? Now, with that in mind, Jesus brought the love, the I like you, I think you're awesome, and you need to hear that God loves you, and there's some things in your life that I want to come alongside you about and be your friend. I want to address that side of Jesus' ministry. And to do that, before we get into the next passage, I just want to say, breaking bread is the Jewish way of saying, let's share a meal together. We just shared a breaking bread ceremony, which we've kind of boiled it down to a mealless ceremony. Okay, It's just the elements that Jesus pointed to. But that came within the context of a meal together. Because there's such a powerful thing when we get together and have a meal together. And Jesus did that day in and day out with his disciples and with others and brought his disciples to be eating together with others day in and day out. There was opportunities every day. And these were huge teaching moments in the life of Jesus day in and day out. I grew up in a very privileged home. My mother and father loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They both came out of broken homes, and they knew how broken homes weren't where it was at. So they did the best they could to bring a home together in wholeness, and so they held almost sacred the family mealtime. I grew up with the family table, the seven of us gathered around in mealtimes regularly, and this was a time where God is there, and conversation is there, and influence is being shaped through these Fellowship of breaking mealtimes together. There would be an opening prayer, which, by the way, was a Jewish practice for thousands of years before eating. Thanking God for provision. Jesus emulated the same practice because he's a Jew and would pray before beginning meal and would bring the grace of God through this prayer and this trust to the people he's breaking bread with. And they who are far from God tainted by the negativity of those religious elite people in their day and then turn their backs on, the, backs on their faith, Jesus would be drawing them in by this love as he expresses faith before them. At the family table, this was a beautiful thing where growing up, I learned to trust God and I learned what prayer is about and I learned that walking with God is daily. It's trusting God for our daily needs. So before we move on, if you have gotten kind of slipshod about the family table and prayer and meeting with God and allowing even mealtimes to be sacred, that might be a social pattern you should reconsider. If you've gotten so busy with your kids carting them off to this skill and that skill and this skill and that skill and they're learning all these skills and you're trying to give them everything they can to be very skilled people, I'm telling you, those skills can be learned later. The values won't be. The values of trust and the values of your love for God are transferred in a daily way when they see you trusting God, they see you praying, they learn how to pray and trust God in a very daily and basic way. Do not let this social pattern be pulled away by screens and other focuses. 
Focus at each other and ask questions and develop the art of conversation which is being lost to our younger generation today. Conversation art is being lost as we're interacting with monologues and posts and now conversations sound more like monologues and posts rather than questions and listening and drawing out from other people. The basics of these social patterns, Jesus knew the value of, and that's how he made disciples, by breaking bread together with those he loved. He created a family table setting outside of the family. So when we talk about breaking bread, we're talking about something like that, which is so often missed because, well... We didn't see it. Acts chapter 2, we read this. It's interesting that this social pattern of the Judaism, this social pattern of Jesus was the basis for the pattern of the Jesus movement that exploded. In verse 42 of Acts 2, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. They had meals together, and in those meals, they actually then purposefully and intentionally celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And whoa, worship changed from Saturday Sabbath to Sunday, the day of the resurrection, which was a cataclysmic change. Something happened to make that change. And they broke bread to remember the life-giving Jesus who conquered death and sin and rose from the dead. And they began a new pattern of meeting together breaking bread together. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. By the way, thank you for coming. Thank you for meeting together. That's really appreciated. It's good for everybody nearby you. It's good for all of us, and it's good for you. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there was a gathering in the large group and all kinds of gatherings in homes and small groups as they broke bread together and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added... To their number daily, those who are being saved. So let me ask you, is this your experience with the community of faith, or are you going it alone? Is your faith pretty much you come, sit in a row, and you don't really have anything to do with other people, and you hear from God, and you worship God, and you go home, and you don't really have anything to do with the community of faith? If that's the case, please reconsider The social pattern of Jesus, because there's something more powerful about being together and breaking bread together and doing life together. Because how in the world would you ever get to the place where you know and care for somebody so much that when you hear about their need, you actually share from your resources because you love and care for them so much, you actually want to make a difference in their life. It's like family. You have this need? Oh, man, I can help you with this. Hey, can you help with that? And you all rally around this person. Has this been your experience in the church? I know it's rare. And the reason why it's rare is we live in a culture that makes it even more difficult than it ever has been before. 
I mean, we've talked about this some before. There are all kinds of reasons why this is difficult. One overlooked reason why this is difficult is we all have climate control in our houses. And so we come home on a hot summer day. We don't want to stay outside, linger, and see people. No, we want to go in and get cool. And we want to be able to get comfortable. And so we don't interact. I mean, add to that that we don't have to get out of the car to open the door even, really. We just hit the garage door opener. We drive right in. Never see a neighbor. Hit the button again. Get into a little private space. And we walk in and we raise the climate control or lower the climate control. We have our own private time. And we put on the screen. We kick back and we just have us time or me time. And we're no longer interactive. We can cut out all people. We screen our calls. We don't have to answer the phone. We now can shop online. We don't have to run into people. Oh, and I love that. I mean, did I say that? <laughs> right? And we don't have to interact and see people. It's harder today than ever before to have community building built into the fabric of the way we live. So how do we address this? Well, one thing we need to do is just recognize where it's going if we're not intentional about addressing this. And so let's take a look at the SMV version of this same passage. Here it is on the screen. Um, this is a cultural rewrite, so it's not really a translation. You need to understand that it's sarcasm, but it's sarcasm with a really huge point. It's the same, ver same verses in a sad modern version, okay? And so here's the sad modern version. The Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally got to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time with each other. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run, kept to themselves, and were too rushed to enjoy one another or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other and they felt very empty and alone. As a result, most people disliked them and very few people were ever saved. Ouch. And you know why that hurts? It's a little too close to home. So do we have experiences with each other, breaking bread with each other, where we, our hearts are opening up and being knit to one another in such a way we're experiencing family-like relationships, community. The church is a family, the scripture says. It isn't like following the pattern of a family as if it's a metaphor. The church is a family. Jesus has made us brothers and sisters in him. So we need to learn where this can be expressed in a beautiful and powerful way because Jesus wants to change the world and without this, there's not a whole lot that interests people. Okay? And so we need to talk this through. So we're going to talk about share the love of Jesus and we're going to look at three points. And when we share the love of Jesus, this breaking bread... How do we break bread? We share the love of Jesus in practical ways by having meals together, and we're gonna kind of tease this out a little bit. So point number one, your presence matters. In our culture, we tell ourselves, it's okay if I miss today, because I'll catch up online. 
It's okay if I don't interact with people because I can catch up online. I can check the social feed and kind of see what's going on with people's lives. And so we make excuses for face-to-face interaction with people. And Jesus says, you're missing the value transfer. You're missing the heart opened and heart knitted together. You're missing the family experience. You're missing the community experience. If you go with the flow of this culture, you're going to get lonelier and lonelier, emptier and emptier, and you will have no impact on the people around you because that's not how it's done. I showed you how it's done. I ate with you. I looked eyeball to eyeball, and I impressed upon you values and joys and invested in you. And that's how it happens around the family table. And so as a kid, I learned to pray out loud because I heard prayers out loud and I would be assigned turns to pray out loud. And as I, in the family table, heard praying and learned praying, then I could begin to pray on my own. Pretty important stuff in my opinion, and so many Christians I run into don't have the practices in their life to learn how to pray alone or out loud, and I want to share with you how this can happen. Now, your presence matters. Hebrews 10.25 reads this way, not giving up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, those times when you want to let meeting together, or you want to let the family table go away, or you don't want to do anything to have intentional breaking bread moments with other people, remember this, you're missing out. It's a value that is really, really strong that Jesus brought to the table that we need to follow as practices and our hearts will grow and be empowered. Just just your presence matters. Let's let's put it this way. If you came up to me and says, would you pray for me? Or if you emailed me or you called me or left a voicemail or you texted me, will you pray for me? If I just said, yes, I will pray for you, that's powerful but it's nowhere near as powerful, I think you'd agree, as if I showed up and put my hand on your shoulder and looked you in the eyeball and said, what's going on? How can I pray for you? And you share with me and then I pray for you right then and there. I have done it so many times and here's almost always what happens. Tears start to stream down as the presence of God through me is now touching your life. Now, want to go more powerful than that? Bring somebody. Two of you show up. Boom, you surround that person. You pray for that person. I guarantee you think that is so much more powerful than you just telling me in a text. You tell me on the phone or you tell me when I see you and I say, would you pray for me? I say, sure, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you all week long. Words, words, words. That's all it feels like. If you stop in the moment and you pray, there's the power right then and there. And you felt it and I felt it. It's more powerful. Why is that? Jesus tells us why. In Matthew, he tells us, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Okay, would you, do you see intentionality here? It's the intentionality of the gathered moment that Jesus says makes that moment powerful. And Jesus is also saying, I am powerfully present with you when you're present with another. 
I want to say it this way, and on the screen is strung together some words. I hope it helps you. Presence matters. Practice being in God's presence. Then practice bringing God's presence into the present with others. I learned this at the family table. My father and mother practiced being in the presence of God. They brought the presence of God to the table in faith and in conversations. I then receive that by their influence and then they ask me to practice the prayers and the presence and I would pray also and practice my faith. This happened at bedtime as well or in other moments in life. And I would learn by practice that I can pray to the point where now on my own I'm choosing that it's not just my family's faith, it's my faith. And I eventually came to the place where even if my family was ripped from me and all I had was God, I knew, I knew this was real. And I'd be practicing my faith. In practicing my faith privately with God, getting more and more comfortable with prayer, now I can step into the community scene, into a moment where somebody says, pray for me. I am practiced in prayer. Sure, let me pray for you. I'm comfortable praying with God. I'm comfortable praying privately. And now I'm comfortable praying openly with you. That's how it works. And that's how Jesus brought it about with his disciples. So, presence matters. Point number two Share the love of Jesus, how meeting together moves us. Back to the Hebrews passage. <clears throat> and I get it, did it out of order. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur. So when we're meeting together, don't neglect meeting together. Here's what we do when we meet together. And it probably isn't going to take place in our meeting together in large group as much as it takes place in our meeting together in these breaking bread moments or in our intentional small groups, in our one person to two person coming together where we are spurring one another on. Now, if we're just considering this, just think about it. This is poking, spur, spur, poke, poke. If I just ask the question, how could we do, how could we poke each other to get out of our comfort zone? And do a little bit more love and good deeds. By the way, I'm standing here poking you. Right? I'm poking you. I'm poking you to consider changing some social practices. And you're considering it. This is a considering to spur you on to new social practices of establishing with intentionality more opportunities of breaking bread and having meals and face-to-face conversations and bringing God into the present moments. That's what I'm poking you to do. Point number three, share the love of Jesus. Your presence matters, how meeting together matters. It moves us, and a caring community is contagious. Acts 2, 46 through 47 reads this way. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's our part. You can just do this. It's not that hard. All you gotta do is call somebody up. Hey, you wanna go out to coffee? Hey, you want to go to lunch? Hey, you want to do some breakfast? You want to come over to our house for dinner? Let's play cards. But do more than play cards. Poke each other. No, not literally. Bring God into the situation. Be 
God's presence in this situation. If it's somebody that's far from God, be real sensitive not to be kind of confrontive like John. No, be, I like you. I enjoy spending time. Cards may be perfectly appropriate. And then sharing life with each other as life is shared over and over and over again, more comes out and they just want more of what they see you have maybe in your group and the people that you care about you and something happens in your life, people rally around you. You can bring them in on that. They see that. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So powerful in this easy stuff that we do our part. Here's what God does. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is how the movement grows. It's as easy as asking your neighbor over for dinner. It's as easy as having a social in your garage and having ice cream together. It's as easy as say, hey, would you, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. Want to go to coffee? It's that easy. That is living like Jesus. Would you pray this prayer with me? I'll read it for you first so you have an opportunity to think it through if you want to pray this. Dear Jesus, we get so busy and forget the power of community. Please reignite in us our passion for coming together in worship and in life. Holy Spirit, empower us to not just go to church, but to be the church together and spur each other toward love and good deeds. Amen? Let's stand together. If you're courageous enough to take a step, consider your social patterns, look at your patterns and reevaluate, are my patterns intentional or am I just following the culture? That's what I'm calling you today. Let's pray this prayer. Out loud, here we go. Dear Jesus, we get so busy and forget the power of community. Please reignite in us our passion for coming together in worship and in life. Holy Spirit, empower us to not just go to church, but to be the church together and spur each other toward love and good deeds. Amen. Somebody come to mind? Somebody that you might just think about, hey, you want to go to lunch? Hey, you want to come on over? Hey, let's get together for uh, KFC and cards. Whatever, whatever it might be, think it through. Take a step. Maybe you came with a burden today. We've got a prayer team to the right of the stage. Maybe you've watched somebody just give their life to the Lord Jesus. You've never seen that before. You have some questions. Go ask them. Go ask me. Ask a staff person. Ask somebody. What do I do? I would like to draw near to this thing you're describing. I want my sins to be washed clean. If that's you, take some steps. God bless you. Enjoy your day. Thanks for coming.